Well, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Tammy, I don't know where you are out there, but this was beautiful. Oh, there you are. Yes, thank you so much. I love the verses that you chose, and thank you for getting us started this morning. Um, We've been in a series here at Journey Church called Behold, and if you have been with us for these last four weeks, oh, last, well, last three, um, you know that we started off week one, the week of hope, with a prophetic passage, and Pastor Mitchell um, preached about Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, and about the hope that was coming into the world. And then the next week of Advent, we heard from Pastor Scott as we looked at the theme of peace. We lit our peace candle, and he shared with us the story of the Annunciation of um, the Good News to Mary. As the angel came to Mary and told her what was coming her way. And then week three, last week, we had we lit the candle of joy, and Pastor Scott shared with us not just the story of Mary from the week before, but now Joseph. And so the Annunciation to Joseph. And so this is where we find ourselves in week four of this series, Behold. And if you've listened to um, each of the pastors in these recent weeks, you know that there was a sense of stirring um, towards this theme, Behold. That they had this confidence that there was something that God wanted to teach us with this word and this theme, Behold. We will continue in this series today for week four of Advent, the week of love. And so the passage that we will be looking at is from an epistle, and this is from 1 John 3, 1. And so today our passage is, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, if I am honest with you, week four of Advent is the week that I pay the least attention to. This is the week where what I'm really thinking about is Christmas. And sometimes, sometimes Christmas Day is very shortly after we light that fourth candle. So this year, the way Christmas falls is we have a full week with the candle of love before we will light that final Christ candle. But sometimes Christmas Eve may even fall on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and then we're lighting the Christ candle the next day, Monday. So it just depends how the calendar looks, but this is often the week where I'm thinking more about the Christ candle than this fourth candle of love. And love, as Tammy talked about this morning, love is like kind of a big theme in scripture. So it's a funny one for, I don't, me certainly, but maybe all of us, maybe more of us, to skip past, to move on quickly to. And so we have this privilege in this particular week to actually be able to spend a week meditating on this particular candle, the candle of love. And so our passage today, I'm going to read it to you again, but now I'm going to read it to you in the NIV. I started off reading it in the um, in the New King James Version, and now I'm going to read it to you in the NIV. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, a word about Bible translation here, because I've just read it to you in two different Bible translations, the New King James and the NIV. 
this is an important thing to just be aware of, and maybe this is something you already know, but Bible translations, there are so many because the English language changes. Now, if you are not so sure that what I'm saying is true, it wasn't until 2003 with the, re with the release of the movie Elf that the word ginormous existed. <laughs> so who knows, it may be your next translation of the Bible includes the word ginormous, which at this very moment, my husband, a former English teacher, is cringing. Um, giant and enormous were combined, created a new word. Now, English language has changed over the course of time. So the, the way that I read this verse to you initially is the way that I was taught this verse as a child. In fact, I grew up in the church, and so if you are familiar with Salty the Singing Songbook, he was a very big part of my life. And so even all week long, I have been singing how lucky we are to be called sons of God. I, a son of God. But I'm, I'm actually a daughter of God, just for clarification's sake. So the English language changes. The Greek, actually, the original Greek, um, was, had, had more inclusive language, like Spanish or German or some of the other languages that are still um, used frequently in our world. Um, English has continued to change. So what I like to do as a pastor is I like to look at a few different versions side by side and see what words they're using because each of these Bible translations will pull together a team of like very, very brilliant scholars and they are going to kind of debate like what is the best current word for this thing. So what I love about the first reading, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. I love the word behold because it feels, it feels more powerful and more profound to me than what the NIV does where it says see. Behold feels more weighty than see. But what I like better in the NIV is I love the word lavished. I think it feels better to me than bestowed. Bestowed, great, that's a good word, but lavished, that feels really special. So I think it's really helpful to look at a lot of different um, versions of scripture. Now, most theological classrooms will use um, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. And so that's a great one because it's, it's thought to probably be um, the most accurately tied to the Greek currently. But I also, I, my favorite to preach from is the NIV because I think that the words are very current and it feels uh, the most relatable. So that is your Bible translation part of the morning. <laughs> but um, I often, when I'm preparing a message, wrestle with the idea of just preaching from one verse. I feel like I like to look at the context. I want more of a big meteor passage that I like to preach from. So I've spent a lot of time with 1 John in preparation for this message. And what I want to say to you is actually we're mostly going to spend time with this one verse because it is such a major theme of 1 John that it demands our attention. It is important for us to spend time with this major concept of not just that book of the Bible, but many books of the Bible, this idea of being children of God. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, I want to just also say what the other pastors here have said. Behold, this idea that had been stirred in the pastoral team here at Journey for this passage, that word is a good word. This idea of meditating, not just seeing something, but like 
beholding it, considering it. Years ago, I attended a conference, and one of the key speakers was the president of Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and he talked about when we love other people, we need to start by beholding them, really looking at them, not just hearing what they're saying and moving on, but, but like gazing upon them and trying to understand, like a contemplating, a beholding. It's a deep word. And that's what we're going to do today with our passage. If there's anything that we do, I hope your biggest takeaway is to spend the week beholding this idea of being children of God, beloved children of God. Will you just this week behold that idea? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we enter into week four of Advent, we know you have things that you want to say to us. And there's stuff going on in our lives. We are busy. We are thinking about things. And so we pray that you will just break through whatever noise is filling our hearts and minds right now and this week. And that you, that you would speak to us. We, your servants, are listening. So in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Isaiah 9-6, a prophetic passage from the Old Testament that tells of the coming Messiah, says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This passage describes Jesus. And you know that, but I'm highlighting this because in Scripture there's a lot of talk about the Father. In this passage, this prophetic passage, it is Jesus who is being called the everlasting Father. And so for us, as we look at 1 John 3, 1 today, thinking about ourselves as children of God, our starting place must be to think about who our Father is. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to move through passages where Jesus is very specifically using parental language himself. And we are going to explore just a few passages and try to glean what we can about what our Father Jesus, the everlasting Father, is like so that we can understand more what it looks like to be beloved children of God. And so, what is the everlasting Father like? What does Jesus have to say about himself? What do the gospel accounts tell us about the everlasting Father who is Jesus? Well, let's start at the very beginning of Jesus' life, before he can even talk. Let's start there. Let's go to one of my very favorite passages um, in the New Testament for sure and honor our mothers of the Christian faith by reading their story. And this is Luke 1, 41 through 56. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. So Elizabeth and Mary have come together. We, um, we have 
heard, as Scott shared the message with us about um, Mary receiving this good news, and what does she instantly do? She goes down to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth has been in seclusion um, since uh, Zechariah got home from offering incense in the temple, and now Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, Elizabeth we often refer to as barren. I hope you will use your own theological imagination to picture more of her story, because if we know anything about what barrenness includes, there may have been some miscarriages for this woman. There have been a lot of months of going to the bathroom and experiencing some very bad news. Years and years and years of disappointment for this woman. Pain, deep agony for this woman. And then there's this very young, afraid, excited woman who is burying the Messiah inside of her. And we're going to drop in on their story. So these two come together. In verse 42, then she spoke out with a loud voice. And I love that the the text is very clear that Elizabeth was speaking with a loud voice. Like there was a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of volume. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And one thing regarding Bible translation, I wrote that this is NIV. And actually that's a mistake. It's NRSV because that's not, I just made a mistake. I copied the wrong one off of Bible study tools. So blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth is so excited for Mary. And Mary responds with what's called the Magnificat. My soul, and and this first part is she's just praising the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then Mary goes on to explain the attributes of this child who is growing inside of her. And we got to pay attention here if we are on a search for what is the everlasting father like. These are some of the traits of Jesus. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors the faithfulness of God. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, I have an image that I have shown you before, and that, I, that just has meant a lot to me, actually, um, that I think we do have a slide. But yes, great. So this is by Scott Erickson, who is a writer, a pastor, and um, an artist. And this is, a, this is a painting. He's not the only one who has done this painting, this image, um, of Eve and Mary meeting through time, where, um, where there's this picture of this redemption. If you know the story of the fall of humankind, you know that the, the outcome of humankind's sin was that for the woman, there would be 
trouble and pain in childbirth. And so there's this image of this redemption that is happening. That Jesus could have gone, he could have come into the world, the incarnation could have happened in any way, but it is very strategic of the everlasting father to actually take the path of childbirth in light of what happened in the garden. And I've had this, I've had this theological wondering myself this particular Advent season, and so take it with a grain of salt because I'm just working this out myself. But in the nativity accounts, we have evidence of the baby being laid in a manger, but there's not mention of a barn or a stable. There really isn't. You can look, and maybe you'll find something, that, and then you can come to me and say, you were totally wrong, and it's heresy or something like that. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if actually, because of what it says about the shepherds being in a nearby field, I'm wondering if when there wasn't room in the inn, if actually Mary and Joseph may have been camping near a trough. And if maybe the baby was born outside. We like to keep this contained. We like to imagine a nice stable that there weren't any other animals in, in a very crowded town. But what if, what if women were redeemed through the Christ child coming through childbirth and if men who experienced the outcome of the fall being the difficulty of toiling the land what if the Christ child was born outside in a field I don't know it's an idea I've just been wondering I've been noodling over it this year so Take that with what you will. But what is the everlasting father like? Already we know that this is an everlasting father who redeems all things. And so we're going to lean into some of the parental language that Jesus uses to find out more what our everlasting father Jesus is like. Toward the end of his life, in Matthew's account, a synoptic gospel, in chapter 23, at the end of this period of Jesus giving these woes, these seven woes, these words of judgment and grief, what we land upon is Jesus saying this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, I've sent these people, I've sent these people to give you news. And you stoned them that I've sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I mean, that's unusual language to choose. Jesus is likening himself to a mother hen. A hen who, Jesus, Jesus the Father wants to bring his little chickens <laughs> under his wings. Okay, so that's one of the images that we have of the kind of everlasting father that Jesus is. What is the everlasting father like? Well, in Luke 15, 11 through 32, there's a parable. And this parable is given in response to people who are criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners, for being welcoming to sinners. And Jesus goes into these three parables. And the last one is of a father and a son. And this is 
Jesus describing, so he is responding here to, to, to complaints that he himself is hanging out with sinners, which means he is putting himself in the role of father in this particular parable. And so the parable goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. So we know what happens next. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. And, you know, so he makes this plan. He gets up, he goes back to his father. Now, what I think is interesting in this passage is the father is waiting. So in the other two passages, the other two parables that came before it, the the Christ figure goes hunting, goes looking for the lost thing. In this one, the father's waiting. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. These are some of the images that we have of our everlasting father. The son son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, and I don't have... All of, the, all of the passages, it goes on and on, but, but this. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This father, this father who waits and watches watches for his son to return, this mother hen who has her chicks under her wings. This loving father, this everlasting father, what a gift for us to be called children of God. Now, I just a little tangent here. On those other two passages that happened before this, um, this passage with the prodigal son, you have the parable of the lost sheep and you have the parable of the lost coin. So you have, um, you have the Christ figure is, in the first one, a shepherd, and in the second one, the Christ figure is a woman who is looking for her coin. In both of these, you have, you have the Christ figure searching. And I... Something I've been thinking about as I've been preparing this message is the time that Jesus himself was lost. Do you remember this? It's, it's early in Luke's account where Jesus is um, at the temple with his family and then they go back home and they leave him behind and then they're searching for him wildly. And I'm thinking, he has been. <laughs> he has been the lost coin. He has been the lost sheep. His parents were looking wildly for him for three days. And I think sometimes, you know, the stories we tell, like, we have a history with the image that we're telling. You know. so, so those first two, our everlasting father searches for the lost. And the third one, and this one that we just talked about, the everlasting father waits 
and shows compassion and celebrates. What is the everlasting father like? I have two more for you. As Jesus was on his way, and where was he on his way to? He was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, a little girl who was 12, who was about to die. And this leader in the community, Jairus, was coming to get Jesus because Jesus was their last hope. And this woman along the way touches Jesus' cloak. She's been bleeding for a long time. She doesn't want anyone to know she's there. She doesn't want anybody to know that she just made them all ceremonially unclean. She just wants to be healed and move along with her life. But Jesus stops and takes time with her. Even though he's in a hurry, even though this leader in the community has come to get him for important business, he stops and he beholds this woman. And he uses a word that is only used here. In verse 48, he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's, a, that's honoring her. Your faith has healed you. He's honoring her. Daughter, beloved daughter, your faith has healed you. Good job. Go in peace. We have these images of Jesus using this, this family language, parental language, daughter. And then there's this strange one where in the middle of the night, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus to kind of figure out like, okay, what's the real deal here? What's happening? Like, I'm listening to you and I know I can't be seen by any of the other Pharisees, but like, what's the story? And what Jesus says to him, he uses more paternal language or more family language, parental language. He, he tells Nicodemus he must be born again. A birth metaphor here. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is very confused. How can I be born again? How can I be born again? Um, and this, this Nicodemus, if you recall from our study of John that we did over the whole last year, Nicodemus is actually someone, he is actually one of the people that ends up burying the crucified Jesus. And here they're meeting, and Jesus is talking to him about being born again. And what must he do to be born again? To be birthed again, he must believe in Jesus, the everlasting Father. So, our verse, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And it's important to start with this idea of what is the Father like, because we, we come to the room, we come to the scriptures with our own experiences. Some of us have fathers that it's like, oh, it's easy to imagine how God is like a father because I have you as my, as my model for that. And others of us have, have images of a father that we do not want to think of God as anything like our father or our mother. I mean, it's same, like the, the parental experience that we have had or that we are offering others plays into our understanding of who God is. So it's important for us to pay attention to how does Jesus talk about himself? How does Jesus function as an everlasting father in the gospels? And so now that we've seen just a few glimpses of what Jesus is like as an everlasting father, this is confirmed to, for us what a lavish gift we have, that we have this good, good parent. 
that we should be called children of God. So what do we do? You know, that's what, what the question we often ask. Well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do with this? Well, the first thing, remember, our series is called Behold. This is, this is the main thing you do. You behold with wonder the possibility that you have been given, you have been given this lavish gift to have this very good, everlasting Father who is Jesus, who would call you daughter, who would bring you under his hen's wings, who would run out onto the road to see you, who would throw a party for you. This is the Father that you have, who would search for you like a coin or a, sh or a sheep, who will give you new birth, this everlasting life. This is the Father you are invited to hold, to have. And so the thing that we need to do first is just sit in it, to just enjoy it, to just behold it. Yes, there are action steps you can take, but the most important thing is just receive it. Just receive the gift. Many of you have, even at this very moment, wrapped gifts in your home to give to your children or your loved ones. What if that gift was received and just thrown aside? You want the gift to be enjoyed, to be savored, to be beheld. So your everlasting Father wants for you to just light the candle of love and just stare at it to just delight in the fact that you are called a child of God. Receive this gift. And when you have beheld the goodness of that gift, that Jesus, Jesus is your everlasting Father, 1 John 3, 1 does have some subsequent verses. And themes that are throughout 1 John and throughout all of the Johannine literature, like all of these themes of loving one another, of repenting of your sin, there are these other things. And so what 1 John 3, 1 through 3, I'm going to read it to you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That sounds a lot like John 1 in the gospel that we just spent the last year studying. It does not know us because it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, remember this is our second advent. The Messiah has come and will come again. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So these two things that I have underlined for you, what we will be, so some responses to being these beloved children of God who have the lavish love of God in our midst, our response is first to behold the goodness of that and second, to become like the Father. What we will be is yet to be known. We are in the process of becoming more and more like our everlasting Father. 
And then there's this word purify at the end and say, oh, what does that mean? Well, don't forget that there were purification rituals for the people of God throughout the Old Testament. So this is a very specific language. And for us, we may lean more on what John the Baptist says, which is repent for the kingdom of God is near. So our two action steps beyond beholding may be to become like the everlasting father, and to repent out of love for God in preparation for the second coming, in preparation for the receiving of the good gifts of the Messiah, the promised one who has come and will come again. And so when we look at this first one, what does it mean to become like him? We might lean back on what Mary said. She gave, and there's all these places in scripture that do this, but Mary, when she's talking with Elizabeth, these two women who are like, oh my gosh, we have this major, major thing happening in our midst. What she talks about is the character of this Christ child that we should become like because he is our father. In the same way that many children grow up to look a lot like their parents, especially in old age, right? In the same way, how might we grow to look like our Father? His mercy, says Mary. His mighty deeds. He scattered the proud and lifted the humble. Humility is important to God. Mercy is important to God. He's filled the hungry. God takes care of those who are in need He sent the rich away empty. He does not value wealth the way our world does. He has been faithful to his promises. These are the ways that we can emulate the everlasting Father. And John the Baptist, in another great behold passage, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is in our repentance, in our honesty about our sin, that we are cleansed, that there's room for us to receive this lavish gift of God's love. So we have this whole week before we light that Christ candle. And I know you're running to Target and Costco. I know you got a lot going on, but what about a bit of repentance in there to make some space for the one who wants to lavish you with love, who wants to run out to his son, who has spent all of his money and made some bad decisions, but his father welcomes him home. What if you do the same? What if in this week you return to Jesus in celebration and preparation of what we will do next Saturday night? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And so, we receive, we behold this good news, we allow ourselves to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, caring caring about the things that God cares about, and we repent to make way for the kingdom of God in us. And so, dear ones, behold What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we 
should be called children of God. Let's pray and then let's respond in music worship. Everlasting Father, we are your children and we desire to make room for you to do your work in us, that we might become like you, that we might savor the gift of your mercy and your faithfulness. We want to offer you our praises now. We want to sing of your goodness, and we want to like hold the news of your love for us before we leave to go to the places we need to go. We want to behold this message, your deep, deep love for us. And so it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.